Exceeding Expectations, episode 54. Welcome to another episode of the podcast where we aim to give you ideas to help you get better referrals, testimonials, etc. Because if you exceed your client's expectations, the benefits to your reputation far exceed the effort you put in, which results in you getting more referrals, recommendations, rebookings, and so on. We have a Facebook group, which you're, of course, welcome to join and um, start conversations in there. If there's a particular guest you would like to hear interviewed on the show, do get in touch, let me know. And it would be great if you could leave a review for us on iTunes or one of the other podcasting platforms, because that's really how we're able to get the word about the show spread around so more people are listening to it. And if this particular episode, if you find it interesting, or if you know someone in particular you think would get good value from this episode, please do share it with them. That would really help. Remember, all the episodes now have full tr- uh, full transcript on the Exceeding Expectations site, so you can go there to find the transcript. Now, it's time for this week's episode. Exceeding expectations, my guest today is Kevin Wilhelm. How are you, Kevin? I'm good. How are you today? I'm pretty good, thank you. I'm uh, over here in London, and you're, you said you're based in Seattle? Yep, Seattle. Because all I know of Seattle, really, is I remember there used to be a program called Fraser, and I'm pretty sure that was in Seattle, wasn't it? That's right. And uh, basically, we have the same weather as London, um, so that gives you an idea of what it is. Uh, oh, Oh, I feel really sorry for you, then. Absolutely. Uh, everyone seems to think that Seattle is nothing but rain, um, but uh, which we do get out a lot during the winter, of course. But from about uh, you know mid-May through the end of October, there's probably no better place in the world to live than Seattle. And what was it that brought you down in the first place? Uh, you know, my wife and I lived in the Midwest um, and of the United States, and had kind of uh, bopped around uh, various cities and, and states. You know, with college, undergrad, and then again, graduate school. And uh, when we landed in Seattle, we knew we, this is where we wanted to be. Just tell us a little bit more about your, your business background and what it, what it is you're doing now and how that came about, how you got into that in the first place. Yeah, so, uh, so I run a, an organization called Sustainable Business Consulting, uh, which does exactly what the name says of it. We um, work with organizations kind of as trusted advisors uh, to help them realize business value um, opportunities through better social environmental practices. So what we do is we help organizations, um, you know, take a, take a look at their organization beyond just the financial realm, but what are they doing from an environmental perspective? What are they doing from a social perspective? Um, You know, we can conduct greenhouse gas inventories for them, kind of do sustainability assessments and once we've helped them baseline uh, what they're doing, we set them on strategies that help them kind of set vision and goals that align with, uh, you know, what needs to happen with the planet um, or what needs to happen in terms of their business. And we found that what we've developed are a bunch of win-win solutions for businesses where we've kind of busted the myth uh, that exists here in the United States that, you know, if you want to do right for the environment or for your community that it's going to cost more. What we've done is flip that on its head and, and showed organizations ways they can save money or even make more money uh, by being uh, a better community steward and uh, taking care of the environment better. And, and what was it that got you into all of that in the first place? 
Well, it's it interesting. I had, I'd actually worked in uh, in pro soccer, uh, you know, here in the United States, and also professional baseball um, for a number of years, and always had kind of this environmental ethic, um, you know, wanting to, you know, just kind of as you drive around the country, kind of help take care of our natural areas. Um, and when I was working within uh, both of those different types of organizations, I just kept seeing so much waste and so much, you know, just uh, dollars that were being wasted, whether it was paper or energy or things that were being thrown out or materials we printed and no one read them. And I just kept thinking, gosh, you know, this is just a ton of waste of money and each of these things have an environmental impact too. So if we could, if we could make the, the business case around saving money, um, then people always would get on board. And so, um, so I'm not a, I'm not trained as an environmentalist or as a scientist or anything. I'm purely trained as a, as an MBA who goes in and helps organizations kind of see where the, see where the money is, um, around, you know, things that they're, where they, where they have waste, um, and, you know, where they can make slight changes that to their business models that actually then help improve their environmental performance. And that's kind of what got me into it. And then over the, you know, last say, um, 12 to 15 years, you know, we've obviously established ourselves as, as leaders here in the United States, um, you know, big global brands come to us, you know, that want to take action on these issues. So we, we don't necessarily have to you know, convince them so much anymore. It's now we show them, you know, where's the path and where can they, you know, exceed their own expectations in terms of, you know, growing or uh, being a better environmental steward. Why here, over here or in the news? And, you know, obviously you don't know how much to believe, but what we see is that there's a lot of people in the States uh, or certainly maybe the administration are kind of denying the whole climate change. I mean, what, what actually is the the attitude there towards climate change? Well, certainly, um, you know, from a political standpoint, you know, our current uh, administration on the federal level uh, is, you know, got their heads in the sand on this issue. Um, I think the majority mm. of Americans in the polls show that, you know, people realize this is a, a global existential threat and action needs to happen. Um, and, mm. you know, unfortunately for people in the UK and around the world, all they see is, you know, our president out there making these ridiculous statements. But the good news is, and what you want to know and your listeners want to know, is that <clears throat> while the federal government pulled out of the Paris Climate Pact, you know, a number of states and local municipalities, you know, 1,500 of our largest cities, as well as, um, you know, states of California, Oregon, Washington, New York, Minnesota, all said we're still in, <clears throat> and um, collectively we can reduce the greenhouse gas emissions um, uh, without the, without the federal government to hit the targets that are needed. So. That's, that's a positive thing, uh, you know, whereas at the federal government, things have happened, states and, and municipalities that believe in this are taking action. And the even better news is that the market, um, the business community is taking action. So whether that's investors, supply chains, large global brands, they all see that this is something that needs to take, uh, you know, they need to take action on, and they are. And so no matter hmm. what people's, political persuasion is whether they believe in climate change or not businesses are moving and their and consumers are moving as well do you find yourself having to educate people often on the on the subject um, it depends on the audience uh, i would say about 
you know, 50% of the time I do and 50% of the time people get it and they already, you know, they don't need to be convinced. They just want to know what do we do? And so, um, and that's mm. been increasing. I would say, you know, 10 years ago, you really had to kind of, uh, rattle cages and, you know, shake and say, look, this is a huge problem. We got to take action. Don't you see what's happening? And I think now, um, especially in the United States with the amount of extreme weather, um, that's, that's due to climate change. Um, you're getting people paying attention because there's been, you know, the worst flooding in 140 years in the, in the Midwest of the United States, um, massive hurricanes that hit last fall, um, some of the worst forest fires that hit the Western United States last summer, and they're going to happen again. So I think it's, you know, uh, within, within our kind of citizenry here in the United States, while the debate may be whether or not climate change is real or not, everyone kind of understands what's happening with this extreme weather and what those impacts might be. And has there been sort of much progress in, in tackling some of those issues? Um, <clears throat> yes and no. I would say that, at, at the again, at the state and the local level, uh, um, there's been a lot of progress. I mean, our state here in Washington, where Seattle's located, you know, we just passed a 100% clean energy bill um, that's going to demand that, you know, no more energy generation from fossil fuels um, and, you know, massive incentives for vehicle electrification electrification, which will both are our two biggest contributors to greenhouse gases. But bringing it back to, you know, getting away from kind of the global big political scale, you know, businesses across the country, and we have, you know, uh, global brands that we work with across not only the United States, but internationally, they're taking massive mm. action. And so, um, uh, mm. you know, I try not to get caught up in the day-to-day what's going on at the federal level. Yes, it's... Um, uh, it, it's sad and in a lot of ways incredibly frustrating, but you can't, you're not going to change that, you know, that right now. So where can you make the change and where can you move the needle? And fortunately, there's a lot of opportunities to do that through business because business will follow um, where the market is headed. They will follow money. Business will follow their consumers and what they're asking for and investors are demanding this. So it's mm-hmm. happening. I mean, they see. I'm by no means an expert on this, but from what I do see, there's been a, a tremendous amount of innovation in in this area in the last yeah. few years. Um, <clears throat> there's been, you know, a, a ton of innovation, I, and a lot of it's being led in the kind of um, outdoor industry and the apparel industry through groups like the Sustainable Working you know, Working Group. You've got uh, big, large, um, you know, global companies like Walmart and Target who have put out real tangible goals of what they want to do. I mean, Walmart has a project called Project Gigaton. They're trying to remove a gigaton of, you know, uh, CO2 emissions from, from the atmosphere within a certain period of time. So they're getting their 100,000-plus suppliers to get on board and step in line. And those suppliers will push their supply chain to do mm-hmm. it, and not just one company. Um, banking, you're seeing lots of innovation in terms of financial services and products. Um, you know, it used to be that in kind of the investment world that in the United States, one out of every $10 was invested in just, you know, what we call social responsible investment funds. And that's expected to be one out of $3 in the next few years. So people are putting their money where their values are, and that's forcing innovation. And um, I think that's that's really exciting. So how, how do you see things sort of changing over the next few years? Fortunately and unfortunately, we've got a, a massive political election coming up in 2020. 
Um, but the first uh, political debates, at least in the Democratic Party, start um, you know in the next few months. And there's a few candidates that have staked their whole candidacy on tackling climate change. So it's going to be in the narrative. It's going to be in the news. Um, and then, of course, because our, our current president and the Republican Party um, are in the denial stage, it's going to force this this conversation um, up there. And, you know, it's mm. not on people's everyday, you know, mindset. Everyone's going about their day to day trying to, you know, get through work, get the kids to school, um, you know, be safe, have, you know, just get home in time to cook dinner. They're not thinking about what's going to happen in 2050 mm. or 2100. And I think that that's one of the things that where, you know, I have a lot of conversations in the scientific community and I tell people, you know, when you talk about two degrees centigrade by 2050 or sea level rise by 2100, it's just too far out and it's too, you know, it's, it's too hard for people to grasp when you can say, you know, mm. we need to make massive changes in our energy grid so that in 10 years, people will be able to ski or cross country ski in these mountains where you go every year and people can kind of get it or make these changes mm. kind of from our environmental perspective so that there's fish that you can fish or animals that you want to hunt. Um, you have to bring it down to the, the very basic level of what that person is interested in. Um, and that's one of the things that, you know, our firm, Sustainable Business Consulting, we, we do a lot of that. We help take big global complex issues and bring it down to the business level and the department level and even the individual level so people understand how what they're doing can play a part in these bigger issues. Before we started recording, you were telling me about, you know, that you've been helping a lot of sort of major organizations such as uh, the Port of Seattle you, you were talking about? Yeah, I mean, this is an example where, you know, an organization comes to us and they're, you know, in line with, you know, this podcast, how can we exceed expectations? And, you know, they were setting their climate targets, um, you know, a, a couple of years ago. And, you know, they're debating, you know, should they be in line with the city's goals, the county's goals, with the Paris Climate Accord? And, and we said, you know, look, you know, yes to all of those. And you really want to go, maybe you want to go above and beyond that. Maybe you want to be the first port in the world to commit to climate neutrality or climate negativity um, by 2050 mm-hmm. instead of 80% reduction. Um, mm-hmm. And they did that. And so it's now put this bar out there that, you know, forces other ports to say, well, we got to be at least as good as, as Seattle, uh, whether that's Rotterdam or, you know, wherever um, around the world, Singapore or, you know, Rio or New Orleans or any of the, you know, big major ports in Shanghai or, you know, outside of Beijing. So you've got this this feeling of like, okay, let's, let's not only go there, but by putting that goal that's way above kind of what they were expecting themselves to do, then it's going to force them to innovate and be creative and um, and problem solve in a way that they realize that the traditional way that they've gone about their business just won't cut it. You also said you did something similar with, um, I forget which bank it was you mentioned. Yeah, well, um, you know, we've worked with several different banks, uh, you know, uh, here locally worked with a couple credit unions, BECU and Verity Credit Union. We've worked with, um, you know, a, a bank, Kitsap Bank, that wanted to be kind of one of the greener banks in the United States. Um, but one of our really more exciting ones more recently is a bank called Columbia Bank, which is a large, you know, regional bank here in the United States. And to give your listeners, it's about, you know, $13 billion in assets U.S. Um, so whatever that is in exchange rate right now for the pound. Um, but 
they, you know, were thinking, well, what can we do on these issues in terms of the environment? You know, we're just a bank. And then when you start realizing that there's all of these initiatives that are being put in place and, you know, the public sector and the private sector are looking for financing and people who will, you know, backstop projects that need to take place that can bring renewable energy or, um, you know, other, other type of sustainability projects to bear, you know, all of a sudden they start going, well, we can do that. We're the bank. So it's just really a, a way of uh, kind of shifting the mindset and how they can play on these issues. And so instead of the bank thinking about, well, let's try and cut down our own, you know, paper issues and, um, you know, energy internally, which they definitely are going to do and they need to, they really saw like, wow, we, we could really be a catalyst through what we do in our day to day with our loans and our accounts and um, our products and services that we put out there. And if we shifted them, you know, a loan is a loan. Um, so making it a green loan to a different type of business and making it more available, um, that can have a, a major, major impact on, you know, what needs to take place. And is there, I mean, the financial industry is, is huge in the States. How, I mean, you've mentioned a couple of banks you've been helping. What is typically the situation in the finance industry? Well, the finance industry has actually been leading the charge. Um, you know, there's um, um, a program out of the, the UN uh, that that's got together probably about 65 of the, the largest banks from, uh, around the world, including, um, you know, Standard Charter and Lloyd's and some of the other ones here in, in the UK as well as some of our big ones, the United States, Bank of America, Wells, City, Citigroup, et cetera. And they came to a, an agreement called the Equator Principles. And it used to be that, you know, banks would finance large, major infrastructure programs. Um, and then afterwards, they would, you know, say, okay, now you need to go back and remediate that. So we'll finance the, the copper mine or the, um, you know, the timber harvest. Um, and I'll go back and, you know, plant the trees. Instead, they're putting on the front end and they're saying, if you want this financing, what are you going to do to protect the environment that's currently there? What are you going to do to currently protect the communities so that doesn't have a negative impact? So that's happening the kind of the mm -hmm. debt markets. In the equity markets and the, the financing, um, a lot of the largest institutional investors have banded together uh, to a group called CDP, which stands for the Carbon Disclosure Project. And they send out a questionnaire to, you know, the companies they invest with, which are about the top, you know, 3,000 largest publicly traded companies across the globe. And they're saying, what are you doing on climate? What are you doing on water? What are you doing in your supply chain to, you know, make sure that human rights are being taken care of? And the amount of investment that's in there is over $100 trillion. And so that's larger than the GDP of the UK for 50 years, practically, you know. Or it's, you know, the combined GDP of the United States, EU, Russia, China, Japan, um, England combined. So you get a sense of um, when money is saying we care about this and we want to do it, they're pushing things. So that's where the, the finance industry can have a, a major impact. For some of the things you've just been saying, it sounds quite optimistic. You know, you, you can only hope to be optimistic. Um, I mean, if, mm. uh, you know, and certainly here in the United States, uh you know, we read about, you know, our, our you know, president's most recent trip, you know, just recently this, this past week to the UK. And, and, you know, for people on one persuasion of the aisle, they're happy with it. And the other half, they're not happy with it. So you can't 
control that. What you have to do is where, what can you focus on and where can you the needle? And I feel mm-hmm. like there, there is real optimism because, um, you know, when people realize, um, you know, where the opportunity is as opposed to where the risk is, then they get really excited. And, uh, you know, I think mm-hmm. no one likes being around that, uh, that downer of a person who comes and says, oh, the planet's on fire, we're all going to die, you know, anything like that. But when people come and say, hey, get on this, this mm-hmm. cool bus, this is where the party's going, this is where, you know, how you can make more money, how you can do better, how you can um, be cooler, a cooler brand to your customers and your employees and attract the right people, people go, yeah, I kind of want to be part of that. And that's what needs to happen mm-hmm. in our sustainability movement, and that's one of the things that we try and, um, you know, help all the companies we work with kind of do that so they can exceed their own expectations. When you encounter people who maybe are sort of disbelieving of the whole climate change argument, what, what kind of things would you say to people to, to try to get them to see the, your, your argument? Well, you know, for the most part, I don't try and convince people, um, you know, if they're a climate denier or the climate activist to one side or the other. I mean, I feel like it's kind of like trying to convince someone of a, you know, trying to, um, you know, get a, a Catholic to convert to Protestantism or uh, a, 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 <laughs> someone who follows the Jewish faith over to become a Buddhist. You know, it, you, you're yeah. all trying to go to the same place, but how you get there, you, you, you disagree quite a bit. So what I try to do is when I find a, mm. someone who I, I don't agree with, I try and, A, you know, mm. first of all, I try and be really empathetic. I try and listen. I try and hear what the concern is and what's really behind it. And usually what they say it is, is not really what's behind it. You know, it, it may be, you know, they think this, you know, climate change thing is a hoax. But behind that, there's economic anxiety. They, you know, or, you know, that if they, if there's public policy on this, it's going to mean that their job is threatened and their livelihood is threatened. And so when you find that what's really behind it, um, then you can find where your common ground is and where the solutions are. And so um, I actually started a whole blog series called How to Talk to the Other Side um, because, I feel like, at least in our country, mm. people are, um, you know, they're, they're very divided and they're in their own tribes. And uh, probably you're experiencing that in the UK, you know, the, the pro-Brexit, anti-Brexit movement. Mm. Those people aren't blocking. They're in there. Mm. So where can you listen to what their concerns are and find that middle ground and move things forward? You mentioned before about um, professional soccer. You you had some involvement. I know you also you were telling me about you've been helping some organisations within the sort of football soccer environment. Well, yeah. So um, you know, it's funny because I you know got my start right out of uh, out of university. Um, you know, working in, in professional soccer, football, uh, as it's properly called around the rest of the world, and um, you know, was just kind of a, a you know former soccer player that you know wanted to help this this sport grow in the United States. But then I, you know, kind of realized that, mm. you know, there was a bigger, a bigger need out there. And, and that's where I kind of got on this, on this mission to um, help organizations find ways that they could be better, you know, financially by being better socially and environmentally responsible. And that led us to, um, mm. you know, a conversation with uh, the Seattle Sounders, which is the you know top pro soccer team here in the United States. And, you know, they were looking for ways that they could kind of green their own office operations. But coming back to this theme of your podcast of kind of exceeding expectations, when we started, you know, saying, well, where can you have an impact? It's, well, 
it's great if you do stuff in the operations, but what about the 45,000 fans who come to every home game? What if you could inspire them? Mm. And then um, what could you do? And then we had this kind of thought process of what if they became the first professional soccer team here in the United States to be carbon neutral? And what if they were the first professional sports team in the United States, whether that's Major League Baseball, the NFL, National Hockey League, um, or Major League Soccer, to become the first carbon neutral team? And what if, by them doing it, they showed the roadmap so that every team did that here in the United States and every team engaged their fans? Then you're talking about real positive change, and that's the change that's needed. Um, when we talk about having five years left to really take action on climate change, that's the kind of action that's needed. And so what started as a conversation of how can we green our own operation changed into how can we change how sports, which is one of those um, unique uh, activities where it cuts across political divides, religious divides, you know, economic divides, how can we use that to be a catalyst for what's needed to, uh, for the environment and society as a whole? How's it been progressing? Well, um, they just uh, you know they just announced it uh, basically uh, two months, two or three months ago here in the United States, um, and they've won awards uh, for it and um, are sending you some positive press. The next big step is there's a, a big conference here in the United States called the Green Sports Alliance where actually our firm, Sustainable Business Consulting, will be representing them because we did a lot of the work behind the scenes with them um, and kind of unveiling it to a lot of the other pro sports teams and leagues. Um, so what I was mm -hmm. expressing was my hope of what we could be in five years, um, but you needed somebody to kind of plant that flag in the ground and, and the Sounders have done that. Um, we'll see what happens. But, um, mm. you know, I'm, I'm not super optimistic it's going to happen there, but I'm hopeful and we're certainly going to drive towards that goal. Um, changing, um, changing the subject, I know you mentioned that you've, you've written a few books. Do you want to tell us a, a bit yeah, about that? Yeah, so I appreciate you re re bringing that up, Tony. I mean, uh, I, I love the, the theme of this, of your podcast, by the way, because the whole idea of exceeding expectations and telling people or helping people kind of think through how they could go above and beyond, um, you know, is, is kind of mm -hmm. core to kind of, you know, who I am and who our organization is. Um, you know, I have been giving talks about, you know, kind of what I talked about in this podcast about how there's a, a positive return on sustainability, not just financial, but social and environmental. Um, and have been going across the United States and flying to conference after conference, um, you know, telling people this message, trying to kind of educate people and, and inspire people. And then someone said to me, you know, you want to write a book. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know how to write a book. I've never written a book. I haven't even written a term paper since college. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, I haven't written any over 15 pages probably in my life. Um, but the more mm -hmm. people that kept coming up to me saying, you need to do this, you need to do this. I kind of started talking to people who had done it and talked to other authors and, and, um, and sat down and wrote my first book, and it was called actually called Return on Sustainability. It was designed to be a kind of a period piece uh, because I had underneath it how um, business can increase profitability and address climate change in an uncertain economy, and that was of course after the financial uh, global crisis in two thousand eight. But unfortunately, we're still in that in that mindset, and so you know, I was I wrote it with the idea of like, well, here's a book I can give out and talk to you know. Uh, a few companies and students, well, 
then it became a textbook in 55 different um, you know, universities and colleges across the country. And that really exceeded my expectations. Mm. So then, uh, you know, mm. a few years later, someone's like, well, what's your sequel? And what do you need to do next? And so I was helping a client that wanted to become the, the greenest uh, coffee company within its industry. And so kind of laying out, mm-hmm. you know, here are the steps from all the work that we've done, having worked with 150 plus companies and about 37 different industries. These are the common things you need to put in place to have a successful program. And, um, and then, you know, my publisher said, well, it's great to have a book, but what if you put in a whole bunch of, you know, case studies, what if you put in some examples, some worksheets, and you could turn it into a textbook and it could be both um, used at the corporate level, but also at the university level, and we'll distribute it. And uh, and they did. And uh, I'm always blown away. That's gotten into another 65 or so different universities. Um, and so it's been one of these things where, you know, I had no training, no skills in this. Um, I had zero expectation of what this was going to do. Um, and it's far exceeded whatever I hoped. And, and, um, and it's helped me kind of, you know, write a few others where I've, uh, you know, kicked around one on how to, you know, a lot of people come to me in the industry. How do I get a job in this space? What do I do? So I wrote a book called sustainability jobs. How do you land your dream green job? Um, and now that I've kind of done it, now my expectations are higher and, you know, I want to write something that's going to, the next one, uh, if I do write something will be, you know, societal, something big. Um, and that's the kind of, you know, hopeful message I love with your podcast is you've got individuals who, you know, how can they exceed the expectations within their own business or professionally or personally? And this is one case where I did it. Clearly they've had an impact in the States. Have they been sold internationally as well? Yeah, they have. Um, you know, one of the things that, that, uh, hilariously Tony is that once you, um, start selling on Amazon, you never know, um, you never know what your sales are and where they're coming from or anything like that. Hmm. Um, hmm. So it's, you know, it's available globally. It's um, the first two books have been translated into multiple different languages. Um, but it, it, it's also one of those things where, you know, I wrote Return on Sustainability now um, 10 years ago and I wrote Making Sustainably Stick six years ago and I've written these other two in the last two to three years that, you know, I'm so busy with my client work and, you know, you know, focused on the kind of day-to-day of moving the ball forward that you kind of forget um, that I even have books out there until I get a royalty check. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. 300 people bought this book last quarter. You know, I, I, it's literally something I, I don't pay any attention to anymore. Um, I probably should, but, you know, it's kind of like, okay, on to the next one. And what, what's the problem of the day that we need to solve now? You touched upon very briefly about electric cars. What what is the the take up on electric cars in the states? What's the sort of attitude towards it? You know, it's it's still definitely new. Um, you know, in some of the kind of quote unquote, for lack of a better term, some of the greener cities uh, across the country. So um, think Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, New York, Chicago, Minneapolis. Um, they've really taken off, and you see them uh, a lot of different places. In the, the rest of the country, it's, you know, it's still pretty uh, a new technology and, and, you know, kind of something that hasn't been fully adopted yet. But that's all going to change pretty quickly. You know, most of the major car brands, uh, GM, Ford, um, uh, Chrysler, Fiat, um, you know, Volkswagen, uh, you know, Saab, have all kind of said that they're going to 
phase out, you know, the internal combustion engine within the next five years. And so they'll be going to hybrids and, and mostly to fully electric vehicles. And some of them are doing it even faster by 2022. And so um, there's mm. just amazing uh, growth that's going to happen in this sector. And it needs to happen um, because, you know, there's been studies that show that uh, we can get 78 to 80 percent of all of our um, power in the United States through, you know, wind power or solar power alone. And if we have cars running on mm. that renewable energy, then you're kind of getting a, uh, a two-four. You're taking fossil fuel plants offline, natural gas and coal plants offline, and replacing them with renewable energy. And you're taking, you know, petroleum and uh, fossil fuels out of cars. And, you know, we can dramatically reduce uh, carbon emissions by, you know, really embracing electric vehicles. And I think it's going to happen. Um, you know, I know, I don't know of a single person who, once they've gotten into an electric car and owned it, has ever wanted to go back. Um, I'm, on my, I'm on my third. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are fast. They are quick. You can get in and out of traffic like nobody's business. You can, um, they've got all the bells and whistles, even more so than even the high-end vehicles. And so I think that um, once they catch on, they're going to catch on in a big way. And what about public transportation with electric vehicles? Well, we, you know, Seattle's a unique city in that, you know, because our, you know, we run on, predominantly most of the city runs on hydroelectric power. Our bus is downtown. We actually have kind of the lines overhead, like you see in a lot of European cities, or you see, um, obviously, for, for rail across Europe. Um, but, uh, mm. um, you know, there's been, you know, quite a, uh, a move towards hybrid buses, but the electric buses are just, just getting off the ground. And, um, uh, you know, they're just starting to get into our fleets over the, uh, locally here, over the next couple of years. So I, I think there's real opportunity, but there's a great case study in Shenzhen, China, They where air quality was, um, you know, such a bad, you know, negative draw on everyone's health, but also on the economic productivity of that, that city. They started and they, they switched their buses out first. All 25,000 metric buses switched to electric. And then they said, okay, let's, let's attack uh, our taxi cab fleet and our tuk-tuks. They swapped out 20,000 cars and taxis with electric vehicles. And now you don't have the black hazy cloud. You don't have that quote unquote London fog. And they saw not only, you know, better, you know, environmental things, but the amount of asthma and health issues related to that dropped significantly. And also employee productivity rose dramatically. And so it was kind of a win, win, win. So I think that's a big case study and that's in China. Um, that can get in the rest of the world. Before we sort of wrap up, what are your general thoughts on exceeding expectations and why people maybe should consider that as, a, as an attitude towards life? Well, I think that, you know, for a lot of people, um, you know, that there's a tendency to put your own limitations on yourself, you know, whether you've never mm. done something, you've never been taught something, um, you've never seen something done like that before. And I think it's really just kind of a mindset shift. Um, you know, I, I was really fortunate in, um, uh, as, as a young kid, I was exposed to a lot of different things and, and was also, uh, I was in the theater and arts, believe it or not, um, and, and sports. And so you, you learn to fail a lot. I mean, you go out for auditions and you get turned down a lot. You go up on stage and you, every time you try and do a solo, you belt it out, you know, in practice. 30 times poorly before you do it once correctly. 
And I think that if people can look at their own lives and where they've done that, you know, whether it's been in sports or in arts or music or um, career search or even, you know, chasing after their beloved, you know, husband or wife, they probably had a lot of breakups and ones that didn't work before they found the one. If they take that mindset and apply it to what they're trying to do, say in business um, or wherever they're going in life, they realize, hey, I can do far better than I ever thought. I can achieve things that I Mm -hmm. failed at that I I didn't think I could do. Um, And so the message I would like to leave people with is that, you know, push yourself. Um, If you, you know, there's, it's kind of like you go into the grocery store and every single thing that's on the, uh, on the shelves was invented by somebody at some point. It did just happen. Um, and so, hmm. um, you know, I, I use a case study of, you know, 13, 14 years ago, a, a graduate school program came to me and said, Hey, would you want to, would you want to teach a course on business sustainability? We need one. We want, we want to, we're thinking we could create the first ever sustainable finance course in the United States. And I was like, well, A, I've never taught about it. B, there's no playbook because it's the first one ever done. I'm like, I don't even know what this is. Um, but I mean, generally I did. But, you know, how to turn that into a graduate school course. And, you know, but as I talked it over with them, nobody knew. But then we started figuring out what it could be. And it created and it was successful. And it was one of the highest rated classes in the graduate school program. And then that led to being asked to teach mm-hmm sustainability for accounting, finance, marketing, entrepreneurship, operations, um, you know, strategy, marketing, you know, all different areas. And, you know, when when someone asked me, you know, back in 2006, would you ever teach a graduate school program or even an undergrad class? I'd say, no, I'm not qualified. I don't know anything about this. But, you know, 13 years later, I've got, Mm -hmm. you know, 1,500 former students. I've taught in seven different programs. I've taught 12 different classes. Um, and I kind of have to pitch myself because it's kind of just something I did. And that's an example mm. where, um, you know, whoever's listening to this podcast, they can take that on. They, you, you can look at your life and say, you know, why not? Why not me? And as opposed to saying, mm. why me? You say, why not me? And, um, and that's what we did with my mm. business. When we set it up, when Sustainable Business Consulting was getting going, there was nobody who wanted to do this. I went around and talked to you know, 50 or so consulting firms in the Seattle area and kept saying, you know, somebody needs to do this. And everyone said, yeah, somebody needs to do this. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I guess I have to do it. Um, and the business has exceeded my expectations. I mean, I have a, you know, 150 plus clients, massive global brands and clients that I would be dying for, you know, eight, nine years ago now are just run of the mill. Um, and so, um, so I just want to leave that message with your listeners is that, you know, push yourself, realize you can do more and to just ask yourself, why not me? Well, Kevin, if people want to find out more about you, where, where would they go? You can go to our website at sustainablebizconsulting.com and that's B-I-Z. Um, you can follow me at Twitter at um, Kevin underscore Wilhelm. Uh, you can also follow our company at at SBC underscore consulting under, on Twitter. Um, or just, uh, you know, you can go to my personal website, um, which is kevin-wilhelm.com. Um, and for any of your listeners who, who hear it and want to reach out and want to know more about what we do or how to, how to go about it, um, don't hesitate to, to contact me through any of those channels or uh, to contact Tony, who's running this amazing podcast, and we'll, we'll figure out a way to get in touch with you. 
Well, we'll put all of those links in the show notes, and I'll also include um, a link to that blog post you mentioned, the uh, how to talk to to the other yeah, other side. So b- before we finish, Kevin, um, you, you mentioned before there was a quotation you quite liked. Do you want to tell us about that? Quote? Well, there's there's two that there's two that I like. Um, one one is a, a personal one that you know on, on climate change. What we find is, you know. I, we take it obviously incredibly serious, but when I'm giving presentations, I, I often you know, use humor because it's such a dark topic. And people will say, well, how can you how can you make jokes about something like climate change? And I say to them, well, if you're not laughing about climate change, that means you obviously don't realize how bad it is. Um, that's one, but my, the one that I always turn to in, in the business context of sustainability is, um, because people think that there's this myth that it, uh, you can't make money by doing the right thing. And I tell people all the time that if you're not making money on your sustainability efforts, then you just aren't doing it right. That's a, that's a good quote to end on, Kevin. Thank you for your time, Kevin. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, best of luck with all that you're doing because, uh, well, the world needs what you're doing hugely. Well, thanks so much, Tony. It's a real pleasure. And uh, I just got to say, I really enjoyed your exceeding expectations podcast. Next week is episode 55 with Cynthia Zai from Singapore. And she helps people to, or she helps uh, senior executives and speakers develop a more powerful speaking voice and, and give them more confidence in what they're doing and the presentations they have to give and so on. So that's next week with uh, Cynthia Zai. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and I hope you have a fantastic week.